We're here in Genesis 28. We'll start with verse 10. Anybody here familiar with the story of Jacob and his dream seeing the ladder? Anybody other than me ever say, what's the deal with the ladder? You know, where you go, I, I, you know, he's got, he's seeing a ladder and angels going up and down and, you know, what's, what's, what's going on with that? Hopefully we can uh, figure that out a little bit this evening. Um, <clears throat> this uh, section is, uh, the title of it up there at the top of your notes is Vayitze. Uh It stands for, and he went out. Once again, these portions get their name from the first part. Uh, of the section where it talks about and, and Yaakov, or we would say Jacob, uh, that he went out. He went out from Beersheba, uh, or Beersheba. And that's actually interesting. For those of you that have been here, remember we talked about how that when uh, Abraham offered up Isaac and it messed his family up, and uh, Sarah was living in Hebron, that's where she died. Abraham's living in Beersheba. And Isaac is actually living south of that. Well, the interesting thing is, and we didn't chase it too much, uh, but at this point, after Abraham has died, uh, Isaac and his family move back to Beersheba, where his dad was. And this is where it picks up here, where you, if, if you were keeping track of that stuff on how the offering up of Isaac just really wrecked havoc uh, on Abraham's family and with Sarah and Isaac. Uh, you could see here where maybe there's some, some healing going on, and they made, they made it back into Beersheba. So we're going to pick up here in, in verse 10. We'll read down through these first five verses. And um, if you've got the notes or you like writing your Bible, uh, you know, they used to mess me up. I, I just I couldn't bring myself to write in my Bible because that's, you know, the Holy Bible, and I finally grew out of that uh, and, and got to where I, I could do that. Um, but you have the notes there for you to do this, and there's a number of things in here <clears throat> that hopefully you'll be able to jot down or highlight as we march through this, and you're going to, I hope that as we read through this story, some things will start to click with a connection between Yeshua and a number of things that He says in the gospel accounts, and we'll try to, uh, to touch on those. But picking up with verse 10, it says this, And Yaakov went out from Beersheba, and he went, down, and he went toward Haran. And he came upon a place and stopped over for the night, for the sun had set. And he took one of the stones uh, of that place, and he put it under his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and he saw a ladder set up on the earth. And its top reached to the heavens, and he saw messengers of Elohim going up and down on it. And see, Yahovah stood above it and said, I am Yahovah Elohim of Abraham, your father, and Elohim of Yitzhak. The land on which you are lying, I give it to you and your seed. And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall break forth to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the clans of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your seed. And see, I am with you and shall guard you wherever you go. And, you, and, and shall bring you back to this land. 
for I am not going to leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Wow, that's powerful, isn't it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would honor the reading and the study of your word. You would honor our time here. Lord, you would be with those that are away, that are traveling. Um, Lord, pray that you would just bless them and watch over them, keep them safe. Uh, Lord, we pray that tonight your word would come to life for us and it would touch our hearts and it would draw us into a closer love relationship with you. And we pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So <clears throat> this idea of the ladder, um, it says in verse 12 that he saw this ladder set up on the earth and it reached up to the heavens and he saw messengers or angels of God going up and down. And then it says this, and God, Yahovah, stood over it. He stood above it. And then he makes this declaration. And he's making it to Jacob. Now, before we get into too much about the ladder itself uh, and these other connections, we want to make this point. A ladder does what? It, it makes a connection between two points, and a, one of them is a point you can't reach. You have to have, in other words, you, you, guys, people, you've been in a situation where you're like, we're going to need a ladder, right? And sometimes some of us guys have said, and I'm going to have to put the ladder on something because I don't have a big enough ladder. That's why guys always die younger than, than women because we're doing the dumb stuff. Um, uh, but time, you know, when you need a ladder, <clears throat> the reason for a ladder is because you're down here and you need to reach a point that you can't get to on your own, so you have to have a ladder. So the interesting thing is, <clears throat> this isn't explained in the Old Testament here as to this ladder. Now, you can read all the Jewish scribes, you can read all their stuff, and they, they've got all kinds of interesting uh, theories. A lot of them will say, you know, that it's the, it represents the temple. You have to have the temple to reach God and all this. And I'm going, well, that's some rabbinical stuff, and that might make for a good book, but it's not biblical, and um, we're gonna, we'll find out in the Gospels what it really means. Uh, but the point is, uh, you have to have a ladder to reach this point. Without it, you can't get there. So we already know the answer, right? Without Yeshua, you ain't getting into heaven. Without, without what Jesus did for us, there is no path. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me, period. He's going to make a reference to this, and we'll get to this uh, much later on. Uh, but here it says that these messengers are going up and down on it. These angels are traveling up and down. Well, <clears throat> uh, that's because God is now interacting with humanity in a very um, powerful way. And he's letting who see this? And Jacob's name is about to be changed to what? Israel. This nation that he is going to call out to be his inheritance, that he's going to work through this nation to prove to the world that he is God, and that through that nation he's going to bring the Messiah. And the man that he's going to change his name to, the name of this nation, to Israel, the one who strove with God, struggled with God, and prevailed. 
uh, that's the one he's letting see this. Now, that event doesn't come until later, um, but you have to keep this in mind. Then he says something in this promise. Okay, so he's got the ladder, and it's God the Father, Yahovah, standing over the ladder, and he makes a proclamation to Jacob, to Yaakov. I like using the right wording. You know, there's no J sound in Hebrew. It's uh, Yerushalayim, it's Yaakov, it's not Jacob, uh, and it's not James. Uh, anyways, so Yahovah is standing over the ladder, and he's speaking a promise directly to Yaakov, who is going to become Israel. And he says, I am with you. That's powerful, folks. The God of all gods, the creator of everything. He's not saying, I'm going to have an angel with you. He is personally involved in saying, I am with you. Remember a few weeks ago, those of you that were here, when we said that when he made this covenant with Abraham, he said, I'm swearing this by the sheer fact that I exist, that I'm going to do this. That's powerful. He's not saying, this is unconditional. He's saying, I swear by my own existence that I will do these things. Now, to his grandson, this same God is saying, by the way, Yaakov, I'm letting you see something. This is going to be pretty powerful. Probably not going to figure it out because my son is going to reveal it much, much later. But I need you to understand something. I am with you. And then he goes on and he says, Basically, and I will guard you. That's that word in English. <clears throat> we keep translating it as the word keep. When he says keep my commandments or keep this, it's the word for guard, to protect. Uh, he says, so I'm going to guard you. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to guard you. That's better than having an angel, for crying out loud, right? That's, that's better than having the Navy SEAL angel Gabriel. You know, he's the big, bad motor scooter that stands in the presence of God. It's better than even having him. You're going to have God Almighty, the creator of the universe, saying, I'm with you, Jacob, and I'm going to protect you. Well, then bring it on, right? Like, well, then let's go. Uh, he goes, I'm going to guard you wherever you go, and I'm going to bring you back here. He's on the way out. Okay? And he says, and I'm going to bring you back here. Remember the whole Jacob Esau thing, all right? Don't, don't forget that. And then he says, and I'm not going to leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. What does that sound like? Who does that sound like? I'm going to always be with you, and I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Yeshua making the exact same promise to us. Powerful. There's nothing in your Bible by accident. Nothing. Here's the other thing. I keep saying this. We're going to read our Bible in context, which means we're going to understand also not only the verses around it, but you have to understand who's writing it and who are they writing it to. So God is telling Moses, you need to write this stuff down for my people, Israel, so they'll understand what I've been doing. So he's telling them, he's telling Moses, this is the part I want you to write down, that I'm saying that I'm with you, I'm going to guard you, I'm going to keep you wherever you go, I'm always going to be with you, 
I'm going to bring you back here, and I'm never going to leave you until I've done everything I said I was going to do for you. Sounds just like Yeshua, doesn't it? That's, why, that's because he and the Father are one. All right, so then in the outline I've got here for you, once again, I've just, I'm copying and pasting this right out of these books. Uh, it's called Walk. And I, once again, I would suggest you get them. If you don't have them, they're really, really good reading. Uh, there's one for each book of the Torah, the first five books, and they all start off with the word walk. So it's walk Genesis, walks Exodus, and so on and so forth. Uh, and in each one of these studies, there's an outline. So I'm just putting that in there for you. You go down to the bottom of the page, <clears throat> skipping forward just a few verses, because he gets, I mean, who's not going to have a dream if you're sleeping on a rock? Right? I mean, um, I'm going to assume he got the rock there and then put some clothes and stuff on it, you know, that he didn't just sleep on a rock, but he got it to be, to be elevated. And he takes the rock and he blesses it, he, he anoints it, and then he calls this place, in verse 19 he says, and he, he called the name of that place Bethel. You ever heard the word Bethel? It's Bet-El. Remember now, El is short for Elohim, which is the word we use for God. Bet in Hebrew is house. So Bethel is the place for the house of God. So it says here in verse 19 that he called the name of that place Bethel. However, the name of that city had been Luz previously. And so he literally names that place the house of God. Um, you might want to highlight that. As, towards the end, I hope you're going to see some connections that are pretty phenomenal. So turn the page. We make it to chapter 29, verse 1. So Yaakov, he's, he's still moving forward. In verse 1, it says, Yaakov moved on, came to the land of the people of the east. Verse 2, and he looked and saw a well in the field. And he saw three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a large stone was on the well's mouth. Once again, when you see numerical things in the Bible, you should just go, why? Right? Three? We run into that all the time, right? Yeshua was in the grave how long? Three days and three nights. Wasn't in there two and a half days. He was in there three days and three nights. Um, when we're marching through the Exodus, they were to get themselves ready. What? Because on the third day, uh, God was going to show up. We, we keep running into all this stuff. And so here, <clears throat> Yaakov shows up. He's at the place where he's going to meet his wife. And it says here, God told Moses, oh, by the way, write this down. He saw three flocks of sheep. Okay, that kind of sounds like a filler. Okay, so he saw three flocks of sheep. So you have to ask, so why three? Keep reading. Just remember, he saw three. There's, there's a number three is here for a reason. And there was also a large stone on the well, the mouth of the well. You starting to already make some connections here? Yeshua was in the grave for what? Three days, and there was what? There was a large stone over the hole in the ground that he was in. You skip forward to <clears throat> verse 10. 
It says that, and it came to be when Yaakov saw Rachel, Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. So she was taking care of the sheep because she's a shepherdess. That Yaakov went near and rolled the stone away from the well's mouth. He didn't. He did it. The other servants didn't do it. Yeah. And he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And Yaakov kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. He's excited. Verse 12. And Yaakov told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was uh, uh, Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. Yeah. So he greets her, rolls a stone away. He greets this woman that he's, he's eventually going to marry. I'm not saying that Jesus married Mary. But he sees her, and he rolls a stone away, tells her what's going on, and what does she do? She runs and tells somebody. Verse 13 and it came to be when Laban heard the report about Yaakov, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him. He didn't walk. He ran. Why would he run? Well, because God instilled it in him to run because they're painting a picture. Folks, this is a picture of the resurrection. So many details. I mean, the layers through here are pretty phenomenal. Uh, so he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him, and then he brings him to his house. And then when he gets to the house, what happens? Yaakov tells Laban all these things. What does that sound like? Sounds like Yeshua with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they make it to the house, and he goes, let me explain to you all these things that had to happen to the Son of Man, beginning with Moses and the prophets. Folks, it's a picture of the resurrection. There's nothing in your Bible by accident, nothing. There's nothing that has happened to God's people that has happened by accident. Constantly, God is trying to paint a picture. So when you're reading through it, don't you, hey, he saw three flocks of sheep. Okay, well, there's three, there, he saw three flocks. I mean, why, why wasn't there two? Why weren't they all? And he makes a big deal about gathering all, them all together. Why, why does he even have that? We didn't cover that because we don't have time, but... He goes through this long conversation with these shepherds. Now's not the time to gather them together. This is how you do this. And they're, they're trying to explain, no, this is how we do it. So I'm like, why is this discussion even in here? It's to get us to, paint to, the, to, get us to the point to realize that there were three separate flocks of sheep. Why three? Why not four? Why not seven? Why not five? Why not two? I don't know, because there was three. Why? Because he's trying to get us to see something. This is a picture of an event that's going to happen thousands of years later with Yeshua. What does he do? He meets Mary, calls her name. She realizes who he is. She comes up to him. He starts explaining things to her, tells her, go back and tell my brothers. What does she do? She runs back to tell them, and then what happens? They run to go find him. 
And while they're running to go find him and he's gone, you know, all these other things happening, all this is that those first few hours, that first day or so of the resurrection, and you're seeing it right here with Jacob and Rachel and her brother. I find that absolutely fascinating. And then it says this, and Laban said to him in verse 14, you are indeed my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him for a month. And I went, okay. Now, I know this is a little bit of a stretch, but how long was Jesus hanging around on the earth after the resurrection? Just over a month, 40 days. And as a matter of fact, if you put the 40 days And what happens next? I mean, the 30 days and what happens next, you're at 37 days because he stays a week and then makes this proposition with his soon-to-be father-in-law. It's absolutely amazing. So you go to verse 18. So he makes this proposition. He goes, I'll work seven years for Rachel because I love Rachel. Okay? So uh, Laban goes, no problem. Everybody here already realized that Laban's a liar. He's a conniver. He's a liar. He's involved in witchcraft and all kinds of weird stuff. So he's not a good guy. Um, So in verse 18, it says, Yaakov loved Rachel. So he said, let me serve you seven years for Rachel, your your younger daughter. You might want to highlight that. "Let Let me serve you for seven years, work for you seven years for your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to some other man. So stay with me. So he did. So in verse 20, it says, so Yaakov served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So, I mean, this is a beautiful story, right? You're talking about, you know, he, he loved her. He fell in love with her instantly. Caesar, he falls in love with her. This is God working this out. And here's something else that I picked up on that, uh, <clears throat> that I had kind of missed before. Abraham brings Sarah, his wife, from that same area. They're in Haran where his father dies, but they leave. And then what? He sends Eleazar back to Haran to get a wife for Isaac. So uh, Rebekah comes back. For Isaac, and now Jacob is going up there and finds Rachel. All three of these girls, these ladies, are coming from the same area. I'm telling you, God had all this worked out uh, because He wanted something just right with His people that the Messiah is going to come from. Um, so then He works the seven years, and then it comes time for the marriage. Everybody remember that story? ends up sleeping with the wrong woman, and you're like, dude, okay, before we get into that, it's not like he just met him at this, now he's been there seven years. He knows who's who, unless you're drunk, and have been deceived, because many times, and they will still do this, you know, they wear a veil and everything until they actually go into the wedding chamber. Um, and if you're already, you know, boozed up pretty good from partying, wouldn't be that hard. It's dark. Um, you're excited. Hormones are totally out of control. Beer and wine is in total control. And you wake up the next morning and go, oh, my goodness, who are you? 
You know, how, how did this happen? And that's what happened to him. I know it sounds funny, but that's what happened to him. And you sit there and read it and go, what a knucklehead. I mean, you didn't lift the veil and go, you know, <laughs> make sure you're kissing the right girl. He didn't do that. So in verse 25, it says, and in the morning it came to be that see, it was Leah. So he said to Laban, what is it that you've done to me? Now, <clears throat> before I go on, does that sound familiar? What is this that you have done to me? Does that not sound like Abimelech and Pharaoh with Abraham and Isaac, those three different occasions? Abraham lies twice. Isaac lies once uh, about their wives. And all three times they say, what is it that you did to me? What what in the world is wrong with you? Now, (laughs) Jacob is saying the same thing to Laban. Now, it's like this whole thing is coming back to roost. What is this that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And now look at this, and I I did highlight it on my page here, and it is highlighted in my electronic Bible. And Laban said to him, look at this, it is not done this way in our place to give the younger before the firstborn. What happened with Jacob and Esau? The younger got the blessing in front of the firstborn. And how did that happen? Because his father's eyes were dim, he couldn't see good, and he hid himself, lied to his father, and switched roles between him and his brother Esau. We talked about that. The real deceitful ones in here were really probably... Isaac and Esau, but everybody, everybody was lying. Uh, we, we talked about that. <clears throat> but what's interesting here is that now you're seeing that what has happened before is now happening again, except this time the script is being flipped. This time now it's actually happening to Yaakov, and he's trying to do right. He is really trying to be upright at this point uh, and, and do what's right. I found that absolutely fascinating. So then another deal is struck, starting in verse 27. It says, complete the week for this one, meaning Leah or Leah. And uh, he says, then we will give you this one too for the service which you shall serve me still another seven years. So he says, work for me another seven years, and I'll go ahead and give you Rachel. So go ahead and betroth and, you know, sleep with your wife uh, this week, and then after this week, then you can get married again. That sound messed up to you? <laughs> it gets worse. Um, so Yaakov loved Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. <clears throat> So Yaakov did so and completed her week, meaning with Leah. And then he gave him his daughter Rachel, too, as a wife. Then Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a female servant. We didn't cover this, but he also gave a female servant to Leah because of all this crookedness he's doing. So now Jacob's got Leah and Rachel and their two female servants. Well, now, um, 
Leah wasn't the one that he really loved. He was attracted to Rachel. He met her first. He was attracted to her. And you turn the page <coughs> to page three on our notes. Now we're at verse 31. And it says, uh, Yehovah saw that Leah was unloved and he opened her womb, <coughs> but Rachel was barren. So here we go again. <coughs> Every time now with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we've got a wife who's barren. All three times. Now, here's something else that's... <clears throat> um, let, let me go ahead and read this next little section because I've got something else here I want to talk to you about. So pick up here in uh, chapter 30, verse, and now down into verse 20 because <clears throat> we're going to talk about a lot of different sons, these 12 sons, well, 11 sons and Diana that are born up to this point. But picking up here in verse 20, it says, And Leah said, Elohim is... Uh, presented me with a good present. Now my husband is going to dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. We have fast-forwarded through some of these. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Diana. And Elohim remembered Rachel, and Elohim listened to her, so she's crying out to God. We've seen this every single time, right? <clears throat> They're barren, crying out to God. God hears them. says, He opens her womb, and she conceived and bore a son. And she said, Elohim has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph or Yosef. He is going to be a powerful type of Messiah. I'm going to get ahead of myself. I even start to dive into that. But you already know the story of Joseph and the the colorful coat and all that stuff. He goes and he, so he becomes a, a type of Messiah, powerful. <clears throat> and, uh, and said, Yahovah has add, added to me another son. <clears throat> so at this point, this is, uh, when I was studying this up, I went, wow, this is pretty fascinating. So he worked seven years before he marries Leah, is deceived, I bet he wasn't drunk that second time, you know. So uh, he, uh, then he, he marries Rachel uh, at the end of that week, right? And then now we're getting close to that's going to be the close of the next seven years. You, you forget some of this. So in seven years' time, this man through Leah and Rachel and these maids, uh, female servants because we got a sister rivalry going. He's going to have born to him 12 children in seven years. That means for seven years, he had, pregnant, he had a pregnant woman or women around him pretty much 24-7. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> But God also said, now, I'm, I'm going to bless you. Now, here's what's fascinating. As I'm reading all this, and I started to go into those questions. So did God cause this? And I'm like, look, God doesn't cause evil, right? We're clear on that. Um, but he allows us to function in our dysfunctional way and still weaves it together for his good. He said, I'm going to create in you in a great nation, 12 tribes, <clears throat> 
That's what's about to happen. At this point, he's got 11 boys. Benjamin's not born yet. Uh, <clears throat> but he does have 12 kids. He's got 11 boys and a daughter through a rivalry among sisters and using their female servants as surrogates to try to get more boys to get Yaakov's attention and to declare themselves blessed of God because we now have boys, we have kids, meaning our social security system is taken care of. Wanted a big family, and it was necessary. And today, we've got everything so upside down. We spend all of our time just trying to make money instead of trying to make a family. And we'll sacrifice the family for the money. It's inside out. Black is white. White is black. Up is down. Down is up. In is out. Out is in. Uh, and no wonder the, the family unit is just literally falling apart because most people are more concerned about money than they are about family. For them, family was it, and family was also money and security. It, it meant work. Um, so I'm reading all this, and I'm going, okay, so once again, now we've got, we got sisters going at it, kind of like having Sarah and Hagar going at it. The list goes on and on, right? Uh, now we've got these two sisters and they're using their maidservants and all this stuff against each other. And through that, God brings forth, at this point, 11 of the 12 tribes, heads of the tribes. What a blessing to know that God can take our messed up approach to life and say, no matter what you do, I'm still going to bring about my will and my blessings, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And even though you think you're in control, you're not. I'm going to do what I want to do. Folks, I don't know about you, but that gives me, that doesn't make me upset. That gives me courage. Because it's saying that, you know, God is in control even when I think I've messed it up. Um, he's in control. <clears throat> and he's blessing Joseph or Yaakov, and uh, he's going to turn him into this nation, even in the midst of this other stuff. And then something else jumped out at me when I'm looking at this that's really strange. There's two sisters. These two sisters don't get along, and these two sisters are married to the same man. Now, before you get too wigged out, it's a prophetic picture of the two tribes of Israel that are called sisters, married to the same God. One got divorced and one didn't. And at the end, God's saying, but I'm going to bring them back. The northern, ten northern tribes are called Ephraim or the house of Israel. The southern tribes called the house of Judah. And when God was pronouncing judgment, I think it's in Jeremiah, over uh, 
the house of Judah, the southern tribes, that's where he literally calls them these sisters and saying, telling Judah, you're more wicked than your wicked sister because you saw what I did to her and you still did it. So he calls them sisters. Why would he do that? (laughs) He's painting us a picture, folks. Why would he allow all of this to happen? Could God have done it even differently? He could have, but he didn't. Why? He allows it to happen a certain way, orchestrates it a certain way so that he can paint a picture over and over and over and over and over again because we're kind of dim-witted and we've got to be told about a million times. And he's saying, I'm God, you're not. What has happened will happen. I've told you the end of the matter from the very beginning. This is what I'm doing, and you guys keep confusing everything I'm saying. It's a simple love story. Stop complicating it. Don't add to what I say, and don't take away from it. Not even how many flocks of sheep. Don't mess with it. That encourages me. I hope it does you. So let's go down uh, some more here. So at this point, uh, in between 24 and uh, verse 32, is where uh, Yaakov goes, hey, let me go. I need to get out of here. You can just imagine. He's been lied to. Uh, he, now he's got, he's, he's had seven years of pregnant women around him fighting. They're bickering. Don't cake. They're not getting along. Some of you guys got that look on your face like, I'm not even going to, I'm not moving. <laughs> I'm not going to make a comment. But he's got seven ladies around him, and these sisters aren't getting along, and they're pregnant and having babies. He's got babies coming out of his ears, right? Twelve in seven years. That's almost two a year. That means every six months almost, there's a baby coming. Thereabouts. <clears throat> That's a lot of kids, right? And you can just see him saying it. He's being prosperous. God's blessing him. And he's looking at Laban going, because Laban's not honest. He already knows. He's like, dude, I need to back. I need to get out of here. I need to go back home. And Laban talks him into staying. So you get to verse 32. <clears throat> Laban goes, just tell me whatever you want. I know that you're, you know, you're, I'm being blessed. <clears throat> and he literally says, I need to add this part. He literally says, I have found out through divination that your God is blessing you and I'm being blessed because of you being here. Later on, we'll see where he has idols in his house. Rachel steals them. Um, So he he says, so, you know, please stay. I'm being blessed because you're here. So, you know, let's work out a deal, right? Let's, let's, Let's do something here. So Yaakov says, no problem. Then let me have all these speckled striped, you know, sheep and goats and stuff. Let's start reading this. Verse 32, it says, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and the black ones among the lambs and spotted and speckled among the goats. And these are going to be my wages. Let me have all the spotted and speckled ones. You have all the rest of them. And then we'll manage them. That's how this will work. And he goes, and I highlighted this one. And my righteousness shall answer for me in time to come. He's like, look, I'm going to be honest about this, and this will be my wages. 
I'll take all the striped, all the spotted, all the speckled. He's basically saying, you know, give me all the weird looking ones. Oh, I meant to do this and I didn't. Anybody ever seen pictures of uh, Jacob's sheep? Google it. They're weird looking. They got multiple horns. At times they'll have four or five horns uh, coming and they're all these black and white and speckled sheep and they've started raising them again and now they've got herds of them in Israel. They're really fascinating looking. You can go home and Google that. I started. To, I was going to get a picture of it and pull it up, and I, I just didn't do it. Uh, so he says, these will be, be my wages, and my righteousness will answer for me in time to come, meaning it'll, it'll be proven out and later that, that I'm right or not, or I'm righteous or not in this whole endeavor. Um, it says, when you come concerning my wages... Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and among the lambs, it is stolen if it is with me. He's saying, so if I've got them and they're, they're pure white and everything, that means I've stolen. And I'm not going to do that. So what does Laban do? Hmm. Laban said, see, let it be according to your word. And they brought everybody together. So this is a legal contractual agreement that they've moved into. Verse 35, on that day... He, meaning Laban, set aside the male goats that were speckled and spotted and female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it and all the black ones among the limbs, and he gave them the hands of his sons, and he pulled three days' journey between himself and Yaakov. Yaakov fed the rest of the Laban's flocks. What does Laban do? He steals them. He goes and hides them. And once again, where does he take them? How far does he take them? <laughs> you think God's trying to tell us something here? Three days. He's going to hide them three days travel away. He's trying to get us to see once again, this whole picture <clears throat> with Yeshua and the Messiah coming and him being dead and buried three days. It's a picture in here and God basically saying, you know what, and everyone that you think is not worthy or whatever, those, those will be mine. I'll take them. Jesus keeps telling that story over and over and over again, right? Where he says, go out on the highways and byways. Just bring them all in. I don't care. Bring them all in so that my house can be full. And that is exactly what God is doing and what he's doing now, what he's been doing all along, filling up his house. We're a bunch of spotted speckled sheep. Goopy horns. God goes perfect. It's exactly what I want. You jump down to uh, <clears throat> chapter 31, uh, verse 2 and 3. Um, so Yaakov, is, he's now talking to his wives. He's talking to Rachel and them. He says, Yaakov would not look at the face of Laban and see that it was not toward him as it was before. He's like, he can, Laban knows. He, and Laban can't figure out. God's already told uh, Yaakov, this is what you need to do. You know, he puts the stick in the water and they're mating and all this weird stuff. And you're like, don't ask me what the stick was and how that worked. I have no, God performed a miracle. How's that? That sound good? God performed a miracle and he, he, he was just blessing him. So his, his flock grew stronger and stronger and stronger. And Laban's flock, what, grew weaker and weaker and weaker. You lying deceit's not going to get you anything. <clears throat> Especially when you're trying to <laughs> deceive God. Um, so he's like, I, I need to leave. It's time to leave the 
servants, everybody's starting to talk and things are starting to get bad. So uh, verse 3, it says, Yehovah said to Yaakov, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. And then look at that. See, I highlighted it and then I underlined it on my sheet. Why? I am with you. No matter what Laban's trying to do, no, you might be scared he's going to try to kill you, whatever, he's going to try to accuse you of this, that, and the other. Don't worry, Yaakov, I'm with you. Now's the time for you to leave. I want you to go back to the land of your fathers, your relatives and stuff. I'm with you. So Yaakov, he gets his wives and the sheep and the flocks and servants and all of his stuff, and they basically sneak off. They get away, and they basically get like this three years uh, there's three three day head start. So Laban chases after him and catches him. And Laban is ticked off. Uh, on top of that, <clears throat> his gods are not there. Why would he need his gods? He needs his gods to try to figure out what's happened and how to catch Yaakov. Well, they're gone. Now, if you don't understand how these idols and gods work, <clears throat> it might not make sense to you. But um, you have to think in terms of Rachel and Leah. Their dad used them kind of like cattle and then just kind of auctioned them off, lied about it, he was deceitful, um, and we see that this issue with him giving his daughters these other female servants at the weddings a week apart, <laughs> um, that, and then we see where Rachel steals these things. So we can speculate. That's all we can really do is speculate, but it is obvious that she wasn't too happy with Dad, or if, number one, she wouldn't have stolen and you have to ask, what was she after? Well, here's the way that worked. We've covered this before, but in ancient times, and educated people today that understand idols and stuff understand that the item itself, if this was an idol, is not the God. The idol that was made has ritualistic things done over it, to open a portal into the other world through this. Therefore, this becomes their mediator. When we went through Exodus, I know that was almost a year ago, when they made the golden calf and they said, this is our Elohim that, that brought us up out of Egypt. <clears throat> they said they thought Moses died. They needed another mediator and they were treating Moses as an idol. And that's why he said, you go talk to God for us. We don't want to talk to God. We'll die. That's not how this works. You have a mediator that talks to God. Then the mediator talks to us. Therefore, there's this buffer. That's, that's how we don't die. That's idol worship. That was commonly understood. And so that's why they said to Moses, you talk to God. That's why they went to that. So then when they thought Moses died, they're like, we need another mediator. So let's make an idol 
and still worship Yahovah. Oops. So, <clears throat> Rachel takes the items that was his portal to try to get his answers. So was it just um, spite or anger? You know, it could be that she wanted to get the other gods ticked off at her dad. Obviously, she wasn't happy, right? So anyways, she has stolen these idols. <clears throat> Laban catches up with Jacob, Rachel, and everybody, and accuses him. He's, why'd you sneak off? Da, 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 da. You've stolen our idols, blah, blah, blah. And once again, now, uh, Jacob, he doesn't know that these idols have been stolen, but look what he says here. <clears throat> in verse 41, it says, These 20 years I've been in your house, I've served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you've changed my wages 10 times. There's been a lot of negotiating going on throughout all this time where Laban is constantly changing, trying to change the deal. You ever run into people like that? Hmm. And then he says, <clears throat> in verse 42, this is real telling. Verse 42, it says, Unless the Elohim of my father, the God of my father, the God of Abraham... And the fear of Yitzhak had, had been with me. You would have now set me away empty-handed. Here's something real telling. With everything that Jacob has been through, and yes, he did lie to get the birthright and that kind of stuff, he's admitting, which is pretty phenomenal, through all this stuff, he goes, the only reason why I'm here today and that I have what I have is because the God of Abraham and Isaac and my God has been with me. And I've had the fear that I saw in my dad with me this whole time. And if it hadn't been for that, you would have already kicked me out empty-handed. That's powerful. God has told him, I will be with you. He told him that when he went in, right? This is where you need to go. Don't worry. I'm going to guard you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be with you. Now when he's coming out, he's saying, now's the time to go. And don't worry. By the way, remember... I'm with you. So then when Laban, his attacker, shows up, he says, the reason I'm here is because God has been with me. That's cool. He doesn't say, I'm here because I was so cunning and so smart. I'm only here because of the grace of God. Elohim has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rendered judgment last night. Now, what he's referring to here is because God himself showed up to Laban in a vision and said, you don't touch him. Basically, don't touch him or I'll kill you. This is my servant. You leave him alone. So when Laban shows up, he's rattled, right? And he goes, I've got the power to kill you, but God's not letting me do it. So why is all this going on? And so then they, they basically make another treaty, uh, and they put up these pillars and stuff, <clears throat> and um, they, just, they, they say that, you know, they will part ways, and the whole story about, because um, Jacob says, if, if those idols are here and whoever stole them, let them die. Well, who stole them? Rachel. 
the one he loves. And what's fascinating is sometime at the birth of Benjamin and shortly thereafter, whatever, Rachel dies. Was it because she stole the idols? I, I don't know. Um, but Yaakov spoke that curse, if you will, out there. Let whoever stole this die. And she seems to be the one that dies later. Um, and so they part ways. <clears throat> so Yaakov is now getting close to getting back home. And this is where this part of the section is going to close for us tonight. And it says in chapter 32, and it's just verses 1 and 2. There's a, there's a third verse, but I didn't include it because I wanted you to see something here. It says, And Yaakov went on his way, and the messengers or angels of God, the messengers of Elohim, met him. Who does that sound like? Abraham and the angels of God and God himself showing up. Now you've got Yaakov. He's about to enter, watch this, back into the promised land. He's on the verge of meeting his angry brother Esau, wondering if Esau is going to kill him. It's getting close to him having this dream and struggling with God and his socket being pulled out of hip. I mean, his hip being pulled out of socket and his name being changed to Israel. So he's getting up to this point, and it says, and these angels, these messengers of God, come to meet him. I don't know about y'all, but that gives me goosebumps. This, we're, not, we're not told here that this is a vision. or dr He's not dreaming this. He's seeing something real. He's seeing real angelic beings, messengers of God, coming to greet him. Hallelujah, right? Verse 2, it says, And when Yaakov saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. This is God's camp. This is the camp of Elohim. What? He's walking up. He's seeing a camp of angels. So there's more than two or three. There's evidently a delegation that comes out to greet him, and he goes, whoa. This is God's camp. I won't be in God's camp, amen? This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahan Ayim, which means the two camps. The name of that town there is literally called the two camps. His camp and God's camp. And he's camping with God. How cool is that? It's in this area where he's going to have this dream and his name is going to be changed into Israel. There is going to be this transformation with his name and his character and who he is and what is about to happen as he's going into the promised land. And then the 12th son is going to be born. The type of Messiah is his youngest at this point, 
Joseph, who will end up in prison in, his, in Egypt and deliver his own family, who they thought was dead and was put once again in a hole in the ground. We'll get to that later. But as he's about to go into that promised land, this thing is about to, in other words, this nation is about to go boom, right? And God is like, there is no devil, no demon, no camp, no group of beings that will stop me from what I'm about to do. I can't get one amen out of that. I mean, now that's some good news, right? Because God goes, this is what I'm about to do. This is where you are. And I know you fear Esau, the Edomites. What? I am here with you. And not only that, I've even built my camp here. And what I'm about to do, no devil, no demon, no Esau will stop me from doing what I'm doing. And Yaakov, you got nothing to worry about because your brother's not going to kill you. Now, he didn't totally believe that. Um, but I just thought that was so powerful that as he's moving back into the promised land, this, this seminal event that what is about to happen is the focal point of all of the major prophecies in your Bible. Even Yeshua is spinning out of this prophecy about God saying, I'm going to take one man, create a nation. I'm going to prove to the whole world that I'm God through that nation. I'm even going to bring the Messiah, my prophet, myself, through that nation. And I'm going to do miraculous things through that nation. I'm going to bring salvation to the world. And then at the end of time, I'm going to use that nation again to prove to the world that I am God. And because that's what I'm doing, I'm even going to let you, Jacob, I'm going to let you see the angelic beings on this earth that are protecting you and that nothing, not even the devil himself, will be able to stop me from doing what I'm about to do. Hallelujah. Amen. Man, that is powerful, right? So let's go ahead and jump into the New Testament, and we're about to close. So you get into John chapter 1. By the way, I want to go ahead and tell you, I've been praying about this for a while I love going through the Old Testament. I love the Gospels. And so when we, fin- you know, we started in Exodus, we made our travels around to, to now Genesis, going to finish up Genesis. I want to go through the book of John when we finish Genesis. Uh, and just take our time, and we're just going to march through the book of John. Now, I love doing this, but these are, this are big chunks of text. And I like just to expositorily teach through the passages. So I don't know how long it'll take. It might take a year. It might take 18 months. I don't know. But we're just going to like, we're going to dig in. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I'm anxious to do that. Uh, and obviously, we're not going to lose track of the Old Testament because it's, it's everywhere. It's all tied together. So watch this. Here it is in John chapter 1. You're wondering, okay, so how does all this tie together? How does this, how does this fit together? It's really cool. <laughs> and I, once again, I've read this. I don't know how many times I've read this. But when you read it in context and you go, oh, come on, really? No, who put that in my Bible? Are you serious? Why why did he say that? We're going to see something now. I'm going to read it. Since we just studied the story about Jacob and all that stuff, right? 
all the deceit, all the lies, all the hiding, all that stuff going on, how it all came back on him, everything else. Now watch it, this simple statement that Yeshua says, and he ties it to this story. And he reveals the truth of this story. It is so cool. So this is where, in verse 45 says, Philip found Nathanael. This is where Jesus is now calling his 12 disciples, the apostles. And he said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, it was like, you know, well, I don't want to go there. Uh, <laughs> uh, Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no, what? Deceit. You see that? This is a connection to Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. They were what? They were deceitful. And things happened in their lives. And now he's going to say, here is Nathaniel. What? And he is what? <clears throat> He's a what? He's an Israelite, meaning from Jacob. And he says, and he, there is no deceit in him. Oh, wow. Nathaniel said to him, says, how do you? He's like, dude, really? How, I don't, who are you? Why are you saying there's no deceit? You don't even know me. I could be this, you know, jerk. You don't know who I am. What do you mean? Here is Nathaniel, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Really gives this really grandiose statement about Nathaniel. Nathaniel's response back is pretty sarcastic. <laughs> well, you don't even know me. And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you and you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Uh-oh. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi. You're the son of God. He's like, hold on a minute. There's no way you'd know I was just hanging out under a fig tree. Uh, something's up here. He says, you're the king of Israel. And Jesus said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You ain't seen nothing yet. You will see greater things than these, Nathaniel, in whom there is no deceit, an Israelite. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see what? Heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I am the latter, Nathaniel. I am the bridge to the thing you can't reach. And my angels are with me. I'm working out my plan. No devil, no demon's going to stop me. Nathaniel, you believe in me because I said I saw you under a fig tree. Dude, that ain't nothing. You're going to see heaven open up. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And here's what you have to understand. 
He was an Israelite that knew his Torah. He knew exactly what Yeshua was talking about when he said, you're going to see heaven open up and you're going to see the angels ascend and descend on me, on the Son of Man. They studied every year. They've been doing it since they came out of Babylon. When they messed up and got sent into Babylon and they came back, Ezra the priest basically said, we ain't doing that again. So we're going to come up with a system and we're going to study the Word of God and we're going to study it. Every, we're, going to, we're going to go through it on a regular basis. This cycle thing has been going on for a long, long time. They said, we need to get back to reading the Word. We need to get back to studying the Word. And so they were really, really, really studying this stuff. And especially those first five books. <clears throat> so when, you, when it came to the book of Genesis, they knew. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And so Yeshua goes, you ain't seen nothing yet, Nathaniel. I am the ladder. I am your way to the Father. You can't reach him on your own. And these two sisters, by this time, these two sisters have been fighting for nearly a thousand years, 800 years. The ten northern tribes have been kicked out of the land for now 800 years when Jesus shows up. The southern tribe hate the northern tribes. Hate them, those Ephraimites. It is true to this day. We don't have time. I got things flying through my head, but the prophecy says that when we're brought back together, that Judah will stop harassing Ephraim and Ephraim will stop being hateful towards Judah. The, these two, the two sticks coming back together, the two houses coming back together, and this rift will be healed between these two sisters. It's been going on all this. They hate them. And so he's like, Philip, <coughs> these two sisters and all that deceit. Here's a true Israelite when there's no deceit. And what you're about to see in my life and my sacrifice is heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon me your ladder, your path to heaven, to your heavenly Father. That's powerful. <clears throat> Folks, there is nothing in your Bible by accident. And once again, it just, so, it just saddens me. I run into it all the time. We were talking about it before service. You know, and we run into people all the time that just say, well, that part of the Bible doesn't matter. That doesn't work. That doesn't matter. And, that, you know, you don't need that. You can just unhitch from the Old Testament. You can get rid of this. You can get rid of that and do this. Matter of fact, you just focus on the Gospels and even that, just focus on a little bit of this. And I go, you really don't know what in the world you're talking about, do you? And when it all really hits the fan, you're really not going to be ready, are you? And that's, that's the part that scares me. So I'm grateful for each and every one of you. <clears throat> I'm grateful for God and His mercy, Amen. And then I look back on these families. I mean, how many times we think about, you know, Abraham, he's a man of faith. Guy's a great guy. He was a knucklehead, you know. Lied about his wife twice, you know, other stuff. Uh, <clears throat> Isaac was just as messed up, if not worse. Jacob lies. You got sisters lying about each other. You got a father-in-law lying about his kids and marrying off the wrong kids and 
treating them like cattle and just trying to make money off of them, basically, and list goes on and on. Then you got these maid servants and these other boys that are born from them, and you go, okay, now hold on a minute. So that also means that some of these boys, I'm going to get into that part, some of these boys weren't born to Rachel and Leah. So what about all that bloodline garbage? Everybody wants to make a big deal out of that. And like, that's why Jesus and Paul both say, you know, it's not those that are born of Israel that are Israel, but those that are born of faith, those that God has called. And people get so messed up and they can't separate the two. There's, there's a difference between called and grafted into the family of God and into heaven, and that what God is doing with the human entity, the governmental entity of the nation of Israel prophetically. Those are two separate issues. Just because you're born Jewish doesn't mean you get a free ticket into heaven. Where That's clear in Scripture. Uh, but people want to take the Word of God and they just want to tear it all apart. And then you wonder why we don't know what's going on and why we have over 40,000 different Christian denominations. And we got people that are pastors praying blessings over abortion clinics. Yeah. And worse. And then you got garbage going on in the church on a weekly basis that's many times a flat-out abomination. Sometimes, we were talking the other day, I listen to some of these songs in worship services and I go, that doesn't sound like they're worshiping. That sounds like... That's a Katy Perry song. What? And the people singing it look like her and act like her. I'm, I'm not understanding what's going on here. And, uh, but anything to get people in the doors and down the aisles and all that other stuff because, hey, it's a business, you can make a lot of money. Well, there's a day of reckoning coming. And once again, I want to be in God's camp. Amen? I, I, I want to be in God's camp. Uh, and and I, I want to have uh, everything that God wants me to have and, and nothing more, nothing less. Amen? God loves you so much, folks. This ought to give you some great encouragement. If He can use these messed up people, they're pretty messed up, all right? Can we, can we all admit? It, that's, that's messed up, right? And He goes, I can take a people like this that's that messed up and I can create a nation out of them to bring the Messiah, to prove at the end of time that I am God and to bring all the nations back underneath my rule and to get us all back into Eden. If he can do that with them, then maybe he can do something with poor old me. I don't know if anybody in here is this messed up, but maybe some of us are. Maybe worse. So what? God's in the forgiving business. God's in the reclaiming business. God's in the restoration business. And God's in the calling us home business. And that's what he's doing. So we go, stop focusing on the messed up stuff and remember, let me just read it again. 
Return to the land of your fathers. You know what return means, right? It's the word we get for repentance. It means to turn back and go where you came from. Return to the land of your fathers and your relatives. Why? Because I'm with you. So stop worrying about all that other stuff. Just come back to me. I'm with you. I will be with you. We were talking again yesterday about everybody wants to quote, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will hear their land. And you know what? Everybody does when that comes up. I said, okay, so what we're going to do, we're going to get together and pray. We're going to pray, and we're going to pray Trump into office, and we're going to pray protection over Trump, and we're going to pray this, and we're going to pray that, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray, and we're going to bring heaven down. Is that what that verse says? You people should know because we know how to read our Bibles in context. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, will do what first? Humble ourselves. So we have to get off our high horse and pray, and then what? And turn from our wicked ways. That's called repentance. Then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. It doesn't say if the politicians pray and straighten up their lives. It doesn't say if we vote in Republican or Democrat. It doesn't say if we pass better laws. It says, if my people that call themselves by my name will stop their garbage, humble themselves before me, pray, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear and I'll heal their land. And the problem is we've butchered the word of God to the point where we don't even know what repentance is. Clueless. But not here. We want to teach the full word of God and try to get us all to just, look, there's nobody here perfect, okay? I don't know if you know this or not. Love you guys, but you ain't perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody in this room is perfect. We're even trying to keep the feast and keep Sabbath and all this stuff. There's nobody doing it right. Nobody. Nobody. There's no one doing it right. You know why? We're not in the land. The temple's not there. The priests aren't there. The sacrificial system's not there. Everything's messed up. We got a whole rabbinical system. So everybody is modifying everything. We clear on that? So you can argue about the calendars. You can argue about this, that, and the other. What does God want? He wants our heart that wants to glorify him and bring praise to his name. And to do our best serving him with what we've got with an honest heart and do the best we can with what we've got today. That's simple. So we have to get off our high horse, even those of us that are trying to follow the Torah, keep the feast and all that stuff, wear a zit seat. There's people that wear it and they want to flaunt it. You're not wearing your zit seat. How do you know? How do you know? God told me to wear it so that I would remember to do what he said. He didn't tell me to wear it to show you. (laughs) He said for me to wear it so that I would remember to do what he said. So how do we know what to do if we don't know what he said? (laughs) 
So we have to stop tearing it apart. And then he goes, but do this and watch this. I will be with you, which leads me right into where we're headed with a greater exodus and God saying, I'm going to whistle to call you back to me. The exodus that happened the first time is going to happen again on a global scale. But watch this. I will be with you. And this pre-trib rapture theory just ain't going to happen. Sorry, that's what you're banking on. Two thin verses in your Bible. And it all stems from anti-Semitism and replacement theology is why you have to come up with that garbage. But when you get rid of that, then your Bible now makes sense. And you go, so you know what? So when that happens and God goes, okay, gang, it's time to go. We can go and not be afraid. We'll go wherever he leads us, and we won't be afraid about anything. Not even medications that some of us have to have. That we're dependent upon. If God can bring manna, He can heal whatever. And He can even say, I know you don't understand this, but here's this bush, you need to go chew on that. (laughs) No, I'm not joking. You need to chew on that. He told Jacob to put branches in the water. I don't know. They put branches in the water, and the sheep made it, and they had the right kind of sheep come out. Okay. If maybe some of us need some kind of medication or whatever, he's going to, here's this tree over here. Pull the bark off, chew on it. Trust me, it'll all be all right. I'm not joking. I really think that he'll do that. I really do. And so um, we're getting close. And uh, I, I love and appreciate every single one of you. Uh, some of you, it's great to meet you for the first time. And uh, I hope tonight's been a blessing. I want you to leave here tonight knowing that God loves you so much. So much. He's told this same story a few thousand times in his Bible to tell you, I love you. And everyone that's been put in my hand, not a one of you is going to slip through it. And I will be with you to the very end of the age. And I'm preparing a place for you. And I'm going to come back. Watch this. I'm going to come back to greet you. And take you home with me. Into the promised land. (laughs) It's everywhere. 